Hi there, thanks for tuning in to Parenting 101 The Cliff Notes. Today I'll be reviewing the book The Connected Child by Karen Purvis, David Cross and Wendy Lyon Sunshine. This is a book which is written for parents who have welcomed children from other countries and cultures, children from troubled backgrounds and those with special behavioural or emotional needs. However, if your family doesn't fit into any of those boxes, don't worry, this podcast could still be for you. There is a lot of information and techniques in this book, which will work great for your family as well. So some concepts that we will look at today include thinking about where your child's life began and the experiences that they have had since in their lives, the importance of healing yourself to heal your child, and the power of nurturing. We'll also look at specific techniques that will help decrease anxiety in your child, help you to be the boss, deal with defiance, and how to help your child handle being told no. So, let's dive in! Where your child began. We often forget that the first home a child has is during its first nine months in utero. Research continues to show that babies are absolutely affected by their environment and experiences during pregnancy. Things we should consider about this first home in the first nine months of their life are the amount of stress that the mother has, any consumptions of toxin, toxins including alcohol or drugs, and that the mother not eating properly. So let's just think for a minute. If you have a child who came into your home and your family by foster care or adoption from birth, let's think about the birth parent for a second. Even if the mother is not using any toxins, she's taking good care of herself, she's getting prenatal care, just the thought of leaving the hospital without your child has got to be at least a little bit stressful. Even if you're getting all the counselling in the world, I can still imagine and believe that there is a little bit of stress and discomfort and depression going on there. And those feelings are, and chemicals which are released to the mother are absolutely going to be impacting the child as well. Then if you think about the parent who perhaps is using toxins during pregnancy and is aware that when I go to the hospital to have this baby, there's a good chance that I may not be returning home with this child due to my drug use. So that in itself is also stressful for mothers as well. So research confirms that a mother's emotional circumstances during pregnancy can profoundly affect the newborn. One study found that one-month-old infants whose mothers were highly stressed during pregnancy had imbalanced neurochemistry. Another group of children with abnormal brain activity had birth mothers who were depressed and anxious during their last trimester of pregnancy. Furthermore, exposure to toxins can result in impairments including small birth size, disrupted facial features, damaged organs and reduced IQ. Other symptoms can include a high risk of ADHD, difficulty processing and organising information, or staying focused. The first year of life is also so vital for brain and emotional and relational development. As a parent and infant coo and smile at each other, the child's brain begins to build the neurological pathways of learning healthy social connections. This simple marvel is called matching and is the mother and child synchronising their behaviour continually mimicking and mirroring each other's vocalizations, eye contact, body movement, posture, sleep cycles and more. So all these games that you play with your newborn, there's actually like peekaboo, um, 
the playing with the toes, those games, like this little pigment to market, all these games have um, a lot of meaning towards them and the meanings are helpful in um, brain development for your child. So these activities are important as it helps the baby predict their environment and their caregiver, thus making them feel secure and safe. Attentive caregiving and matching helps cement the familial bond and create a secure attachment. So when we talk about attachment, we're talking about more than how well a parent and child get along with each other and more than if they hug and if they play with each other. While these are important, attachment goes much deeper than that. Through attachment, a baby learns to trust that their needs will be met and that they can rely on the people in their world. Deprived of a caregiver who touches or cradles, the child cannot learn to bond with other people or even to process sight, sounds and sensations. Without the sound of human voices, a child's brain does not develop language comprehension or speaking skills. Each time an infant is held, rocked, fed and spoken to, brain growth is stimulated. A child who is consistently safe and nurtured by a reliable caretaker in early life will become securely attached. This child, the secure child, is confident that he has a parent who will meet his needs and that he has a safe base to return to as he explores his world. This is why when kids are two-ish, if they have a secure parent, you see this child, they'll, they're out in the playground or perhaps just still in the house and they're uh, exploring, they're adventuring off, but then they come back to check on the parent or they'll turn around to make sure the parent is still there. That's what we're referring to when we talk about the child feeling like they have a secure base to return to. A securely attached child learns to be comfortable in close relationships. As a child grows, the child watches the parents' reactions to new places and people and is able to adapt to the new people and places based on the parents' responses. So this again goes back to the mirroring in the early first few days of life. A child with a secure attachment will be quicker to accept that strangers or new environments are safe. Children with secure attachments are also able to make friends and interact sociably with other kids. To develop attachment skills, your child will need a lot of extra affection and kindness, appropriate rules, structure and boundaries, varied exercise and sensory enrichment activities, cuddling, feeding, rocking, lessons in how families stick together, and lessons in treating people with kindness and respect. So these are all things which don't seem overly difficult to do and they seem like they should be fun and enjoyable they're just different ways to spend time with your child and remember the past affects the future even if the pregnancy was healthy and your child did not experience any trauma removal from the first home the womb and the first caregiver the biological birth mother can be traumatic in itself Research tells us that children who experience loss or rejection by their own families can feel concrete physical pain from this social exclusion. The importance of healing yourself to heal your child. This is actually the last chapter in the book, but I think it's one of the most important things to consider when parenting. And this is one of the things that the therapy program I work in, we really work hard to reinforce and address um, is working with the parent and working with the parent's trauma issues and the parent's own upbringing to better help their child. Just as children are impacted by their parents and their environments in utero, they continue to be impacted by their parents throughout their lifetime.
when parenting, we need to be emotionally available pretty much 24-7, and that is exhausting. That's why it's important to engage in self-care. This can be anything from exercise, a child-free afternoon, treating yourself to something nice, you know, that fancy drink at Starbucks that you always want to get but don't. Treat yourself. Go ahead, get the drink. Uh, listening to relaxing music. I mean, there are so many things which don't have to take a lot of time. You don't have to leave the house even if you can't. Um, they don't have to cost a lot of money. Like, you can do or find anything which is purely about you and makes you feel better afterwards. This counts as self-care. So don't think that it has to be expensive or extravagant. Just think of one small thing every day that you can do just for you. And also it's important to heal from our own trauma. Sometimes parents fully believe that they've made peace with their own troubling histories, but they have in fact settled on reliable defense mechanisms. As a result, they are unready to give the deep nurturing care that an at-risk child requires. Not only can it affect a person personally, but it can affect their parenting and relationship with their child, as well as a child's attachment style. In one research study, more than 70% of the participants had the same attachment style as their mother and their grandmother. So attachment styles are generational, folks. We got to fix ours to be able to help our child have a healthy attachment style too. That is why the book also recommends that parents gain insight into their own attachment style. Doing so gives the person the power to acknowledge their personal demons, honor them, grieve them, and then move on with an open heart that can allow you to heal and become truly present for the child who stands before you. The power of nurturing. Equal parts of affection and discipline are vital to a child's healing. Without gentleness, kindness and warmth, a child's development and mental health are compromised. Nurturing is vital to every child's well-being, especially so to an at-risk child whose self-image and emotional equilibrium are already fragile. When a parent feels frustrated or helpless in dealing with a child, it becomes too easy to focus on discipline and forget about nurturing. Yet it's precisely at these times when we need to let compassion be our guide. One of your most critical jobs is to counteract your child's negative self-perception by continually showing how much you value your child. Even when they're misbehaving, even when they're not doing what you ask, you want this, your child to believe that they have value and that you adore them, even when they're not top shape. And then to add to what the authors say, showing empathy is also a driving factor in a strong parent-child relationship. let's get into some of the interventions shared in this book. There are so many, um, but I'm going to try and highlight my favorite ones and which ones I think are the easiest to apply. So first of all, um, let's rule out any trauma or medical diagnosis. If your child continues to show symptoms and behaviors, no matter what you do to try and help or calm them, you should look into uh, what they may have experienced in the past or maybe currently experiencing like trauma-wise. Uh, the book gives a detailed table as to certain behaviors as they pertain to certain traumas. Um, other disorders to consider include sensory processing disorder, seizures, and fetal alcohol exposure. So if you want to rule these things out, you can consult with your child's pediatrician. Um, you also may want to engage your child in therapy um, to rule out 
or explore any trauma that they may have experienced and to have a professional help guide you in how to work with your child best with these traumas in mind. Seeing beyond the misbehavior. We also need to look beyond the difficult behavior and ask ourselves, what is my child really saying? And what does this child really need? Children don't always have the words to express their needs, so it's shown through their behavior. But if we really examine the behavior, we'll find the truth. We'll find that the children, the child is avoiding something, and we'll be able to see what they're seeking and how they're really feeling. It takes a little bit of practice, but these key phrases will help you to help your child and even say out loud, like, what is it that you really need? Or what is it that you're really trying to say? Because we could also help our child by giving them words. And by giving them words, um, that means providing phrases to them to then help them process with you and then give you an answer with their words instead of with. Reduce stress and make things predictable. While we cannot predict everything and our children need to be able to roll with unpredictable things in life, we must try to make things as stress-free and predictable as possible to reduce their stress and to build trust in the parent-child relationship. Remember, stress releases cortisol into the brain and the bodies, and too much cortisol in the developing body can cause serious problems. So that's why, especially during um, the younger years, we really want to keep stress to a minimum and make things as predictable and reliable as possible. Some simple ways to make things predictable include giving time warnings. So you want your child to clean up. Let's tell them, in 15 minutes, it's time to clean up. 10 minutes, it's time to clean up. In five minutes, it's time to clean up. If your child does not understand time, uh, use a send timer or other types of timers. You can have timers on your phone. Um, the more visual and less about time itself, um, the better it's going to be for younger children. Uh, you could also provide visual schedules for your day um, to show your child what activities are going to be going on, where you're going to be going, who's going to be going there. We want to make it as visual and as predictable as possible. Even just talking through it if you're on the way to the dentist. Okay, buddy, we're going to the dentist and we're going to walk in the door and we're going to check in and then we're going to go wait in the waiting room. Um, in the waiting room, you can sit next to me or you can go look at the fish tank, you know. So that's a quick example of how you can walk a child through um, possibly a new experience, an experience which might be a little bit scary. Give appropriate choices to share control. So without relinquishing parental control, we can easily offer simple choices that make a child feel empowered and much less anxious. It also helps a child to learn about choices and teamwork. So some examples would be, would you like to wear your blue shorts or your tan shorts today? Do you want to use your pencil or your pen? Would you like to take a nap or rest quietly? I really encourage parents to use choices as often as possible. Um, simple things that you really don't care if your child eats the banana or the apple. Let them choose. It's going to make a big difference in their little lives. Um, I've seen this work very, very well uh, for dysregulated children, um, children who are in foster care and just feel like their whole life is out of control. Um, just giving a lot of simple choices has really helped to reel them in and help them to be more grounded. So I absolutely recommend using choices for your children. Um, to help them not only feel like they have more control, but again, to help them develop uh, skills in teamwork. 
be confident. This is one of my favorite interventions to teach to parents and I love it because I can really see the change not only in the parent but then how the parent responds to the child as well. So this one is basically taking the ask out of questions and when I say this you're going to be able to reflect on the conversations you're going to have with your kid today and be like oh man I do this a lot. <laughs> so um, part of being an effective leader with your child is giving clear instructions and asking simple questions. So asking too many open-ended questions can be um, difficult for your child. So questions like, what do you want to do now? That's too much choice. And this can signal a lack of confidence in your part. And the child feels safer when the adult is in charge. Um, and here's the, my personal example. If we say to a child, can you clean that up, please? The child can turn around and say, no, I can't. And in all fairness, you did ask them. You did ask can you clean that up? So what we need to do is take out the question and the choice in certain things. Um, so instead of, can you clean that up please? It's, okay, it's time to clean that up please. Um, and I've had parents tell me that this feels pretty demanding, but it's all in the presentation and in the words that you choose. You could also choose words like, I need your help in helping to clean this up, or we, uh, it's time to clean this up. Uh, in five minutes, let's clean up. So it doesn't have to be authoritative or demanding but you do need to be confident and that's also what children need. Some more examples so instead of saying do you want to have a bath soon say in 10 minutes it's time for your bath. Um, again I have seen a lot of success with this intervention with my parents and my children in the therapy office. Hands and eyes. So this is one of Karen Purvis's like staple interventions. So getting children in the habit of looking us in the eye increases their focus, learning and interpersonal connections. There are many reasons a child may not be comfortable with eye contact so don't rush it and don't push it too hard, just make it a goal to work towards. So what hands and eyes means is when you're trying to get your child to do something or you need your child to listen to you, we're going to really try and get their eye contact. So if we hold their hands and then we can make comments like, let me see those beautiful blue eyes. Or sometimes I know kids are not wanting to look at me, they want to continue what they're doing. I'll be like, did your eyes just turn pink? And they'll look at me like, uh, I don't know, did they? <laughs> or you can give them, like, use their name first, like, hey Billy, let me see your eyes. Uh, say their name, Sam, pause. And during that pause, the child's like, oh, what's going on? My my parents not talking right now. So during that point, you'll get their eye contact. Um, and with, when we're really trying to work towards eye contact, praising it when we get the eye contact. So Sam gives you his beautiful blue eyes. Oh, I love your eyes, Sam. I love looking at your beautiful blue eyes. Thank you for giving me eye contact right now. And then you proceed with um, your questions or um, the instructions that you're trying to give your child. Also, the hand contact is providing touch. And we'll get into touch a little bit later on, but there is um, a lot of power in touch as well. So hands and eyes, trying to get eye contact with your child when you're needing um, to give them instruction or you just need them to make sure they're really listening to you. Touch. Research shows that children who get frequent and safe open-handed caresses fare better than children who are not touched often or children who are touched only with fingertips, so like kind of ticklish touch. Um, that's what we're talking about when we talk about touch with fingertips. 
So try to incorporate touch into daily life as much as possible. From hugs to high fives, massage, a gentle touch on the shoulder. These are all great things to incorporate and research shows that this is actually very beneficial for your children. So earlier when we were talking about hands and eyes and I said that that hand contact while gaining eye contact had benefit to it, this is what I was talking about. Any open-handed touch, obviously not any open-handed touch, but open-handed touch in a gentle manner is beneficial for your child. Accepting no. So if you've listened to my other podcasts, um, you'll remember that we want to try and say no as least as possible when we're working with our children every day. But sometimes we just have to say no. So a great way to help your child to accept no is to interrupt that diamond spiral before it becomes a meltdown too quickly. Um, before your child even has a chance to throw a tantrum, compliment the child. So you just said, no, sorry, we can't do that today. Wow, what a great job of accepting no. Thank you so much for not throwing a fit when I said no just then. Another way is what we call a no sandwich. Again, I use this a lot as well. So if you have to say no, prepare yourself. We're going to create a no sandwich. So the first thing we're going to do is be positive. The top part of our sandwich is going to be positive. Um, praise specific behavior and let your child know that you understand his feelings and needs. So good asking for permission. I know you really love to play with that puppy. The filling part is going to be corrective. So give concrete directives and offer acceptable choices. You can't play with a puppy right now because I need to finish cooking dinner, but you can sit here and read or play with your dollhouse. Which do you choose? Then the bottom layer is, again, another positive. Acknowledge the child's needs and give hope for the future meeting of the needs. We can ask the neighbor tomorrow about the puppy. Maybe you can play with the puppy tomorrow. So another, I can run, run through a quick example really quick. Um, so your child really wants a snack, but it's not time to eat. Wow, thank you for using such polite manners to ask for your snack. I know you're feeling pretty hungry, but we can't have snack right now because we're actually out of snacks. But if you would like, we can cook dinner 10 minutes earlier or we can have extra dessert after dinner. So you see how there um, we used some praise, we gave the hard no, but then quickly moved on to some more praise. Um, to have success with this, you really have to be quick with that praise so you can not give an opportunity for a meltdown in the middle there. Redos. A redo is an opportunity for a child to try the incorrect behavior over again. Doing so works in muscle memory and research shows that motor memory can trump cognitive thought-based memory for young children. There are a few components to a redo and they include responding quickly, clarifying your expectations, offering simple choices, presenting consequences, and offering praise for success. So here's a quick example. Let's say Mary just took a toy from her friend, she snatched it away. So first off, you must correct this behavior within two minutes. Whoa, Mary, we treat our friends with respect and kindness. Now, can we try that again right now? Or we can take a moment to calm down and then try again. Which would you prefer? Well, if you don't do either of those, We'll spend the next five minutes picking up the toys together in the other room. You want to do the redo now? Great choice, Mary. I will then calmly walk my child over to the child that she took a toy from. 
hand the other child the toy back and have Mary use her words and coach her in how to obtain the toy respectfully. So basically we're just doing the behavior again in a correct way and showing support for a child in this situation. Compromises. When you give choices and compromises using a warm and authoritative tone of voice, your child will rarely continue to fight. And this is because they've become engaged in the process and have really bought in. Um, so some parts of the some steps of compromises are having the child repeat all the steps of their choices and then you repeating them yourself, that makes the expectations very clear and predictable. So here is an example from the book. So your child is ignoring you. Here's how we address it. It is not okay to ignore me. I asked you to pick up your toys. You need to either pick up your toys or ask me for a compromise. Can I have a compromise? That's good using your words. Let's make a compromise. You have two choices. You can pick up your toys now and then play a game with me for five minutes. Or we can play together for five minutes and then you can pick up your toys. Which do you choose? If your child squirms a bit and tries to avoid choosing, don't let yourself get snagged into an argument. Uh, repeat the choices without saying anything else. So you can pick up your toys now, and then play a game with me in five minutes, or we can play together for five minutes, and then you can pick up your toys. Eventually, your child will choose one. Suppose the child says, I want to play first. Now you reinforce the choice and ask her to describe how the next scene will unfold. Okay, good making a... Good job at making a compromise. So what's going to happen first? We're going to play. That's right, we're going to play. How long are we going to play for? Uh, five minutes. Yes, so we're going to play together for five minutes. Then what's your part of the compromise? What happens after we're done playing? Repeat back what she said and coach her to completely explain the expectations. Reviewing these specifics beforehand will help you stick with the plan. I pick up my toys. Right, so when I say five minutes of playing are up, what's your part of the deal? How do you pick up the toys? Uh, I pick them up right away. Right, you pick up the toys with no fussing and right away, okay? Okay, okay, good deal. Give me five minutes. That's right, good compromising. So not only are there, is there like a script to use with this, which you'll get used to after practicing it a few times, but we also want to do this um, with authority, um, but in a warm tone of voice as well. While we don't want to compromise with our child on everything, um, some circumstances it's okay, like you really don't care if it takes an extra five minutes to clean up, because um, in all reality you could use those five minutes playing and not have a meltdown, or you continue to fight with your child and those five minutes are going to be spent arguing and in a meltdown. So really, not only is giving five minutes of play before picking up um, more enjoyable for everybody, um, it's also helping your child to reduce their stress and not have these big meltdowns. So, And again, working on the relationship, if you're spending five minutes playing together versus five minutes of arguing and fighting, you know, there's definitely benefits um, which outweigh that in many different aspects. So when at all possible, choose the compromises um, and it's also important that your child ask for a compromise too. Dealing with defiance. So we have a few different options here depending on the level of defiance which we're dealing with. <laughs> so first option, 
what we're going to do is we're going to try and use playfulness as often as possible. So consider the example, your child just orders you, carry me to the car. You can reply in a playful tone of voice, are you asking or are you telling me? If your child responds, I'm asking, you will reply, well then, try it again. Mom, will you carry me to the car? And then you can answer, well, since you're asking me, I'd love to carry you. Would you like a piggyback ride or a ride on my shoulders? Um, again, in a playful voice, another option is you can ask, who is the boss here? You know, again, keeping it playful because we're in a mild level of defiance right now. Playfulness will usually redirect mild defiance. So, who is the boss here? And again, first option, are you asking me or are you telling me? I use these again very often during th my therapy sessions. So you can, replay, uh, you can reply in a playful tone of voice. Whoa, how about trying that again? This time with respect. Then when your child asks properly, you can praise the child. Good asking with respect. Since you are asking with respect, I'd love to carry you. Do you choose a piggyback ride or a ride on my shoulders? So when we're no longer dealing with um, some mild defiance, they've upped their game a little bit, here is a different way to handle the mid-level of defiance, which we sometimes get. Here is the example. Um, you're going to respond, your child responds to your playful question with a degree of defiance such as, I'm telling you, then the ball is back in your card. So at this point, you are going to get yourself centered and grounded, lower your tone of voice, and use the voice of authority. This is when you're going to use your mum voice. Um, make sustained but not threatening eye contact. We're then going to state expectations and consequences. So for example, you could respond simply with, if you're telling me, the answer will always be no. Now, would you like to try asking me with respect? And then you can offer two acceptable alternatives. Another alternative is to go straight to offering two choices. You can say, you have two choices. You may walk beside me or walk beside me and hold my hand. What do you choose? Again, once a child complies, praise him uh, for doing the requested behavior. So, for example, good asking with respect or good choosing. And again, once this is done, we're going to quickly move on. We're not going to rehash this ordeal over and over again. We're going to quickly move on. So, to recap, we're going to become more firm in our voice. We're kind of taking the playfulness out of it as much. Um, and we're going to set our expectations and consequences. So, again, quick recon recap here. Your child says, responded to your playfulness with, I'm telling you. If you're telling me, the answer will always be no. Now would you like to try asking me with respect? And then you have two choices. You can either walk beside me and hold my hand, or you can walk beside me. Which do you choose? Again, notice the change in my voice. This is on purpose because we want to be more authoritative during this mid-level defiance. So now let's go to the kind of top level of defiance. Um, if your child becomes utterly defiant after your child mild approaches, you've got to step up to the plate just as they did. For example, a heightened challenge would be a child who responds to your earlier corrections with, you can't boss me around. Okay, <laughs> so again, you're going to step into, you're going to take a deep breath. Remember to not take the misbehavior personally. Stand firmly on both feet, um, strong posture, no slouching, you are in charge, remember. So at this point, we're going to give one chance to correct the behavior. So do you want to try that again with respect? If your child acknowledges a mistake at this level, 
and redoes the action with respect, they have learned a valuable lesson in self-correction and you simply praise your child's behavior and resume the activity. If we're in the high level of defiance, chances are your child's not going to respond correctly and they're not going to uh, try it again with respect. So if your child won't budge from this challenge, you're going to direct them to a spot where he can sit quietly and reflect while you stand nearby. This is not a timeout. Uh, we are not going to take our child somewhere and leave them and shut them in their room for a few minutes. Um, what this tells kids, and especially children from um, troubled backgrounds, is that I can't handle you and your behavior right now. And that makes them feel really alone and isolated. And what they really need is a parent who can handle them at their best and at their worst. So we really try to avoid using timeouts where a child is by themselves. So what we're going to do is walk them over to the think it over place. Um, so they can be sat next to you on the bench. Um, you could be stood or sat behind them or nearby, but you're not going to leave them by themselves. And you can say, I'll be right here once you're ready to use your words and tell me, what you did wrong and how you could do it right, you come and tell me. Then you're going to wait there for however long it takes for your child to say that they're ready. Then listen quietly to what the child says. After that step, we're going to coach the child to redo it correctly. After the child has explained what they did wrong, you could ask, how could you have done it better? All right. Um, discuss this briefly and then guide the child to redo the behavior correctly. When the child has successfully completed the redo, praise, 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 praise their behavior. All right, so there are many, many more great examples and much more information in this book, which is a really easy book to read. And I really wish I had more time to share um, some more interventions with you all today, but I'm going to stick to our 30 minute limit. And this is about all the time we have for today. So be sure to like the Facebook page Parenting 101, the Cliff Notes. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave me a message with any books that you'd like me to review in the future. Alrighty, thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.